This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to another Liverpool.com podcast. I'm Dan Morgan. I am joined this week by Mark Wakefield, Oliver Connolly and Dan Kay from the Liverpool Echo. Gentlemen, I hope you're all well. Uh, as ever, I'm going to give you a little update on our running thread of um, pieces that we're doing on Liverpool.com that we're offering you a survey to get involved with. And it is basically choose your own reality in reference to Fenway Sports Group's 10 years at Liverpool. So last week, um, we asked you to pick um, your reality based on the fact that Liverpool had sold Fernando Torres to Chelsea and bought only Luis Suarez. Um, the result of that, as written in the piece, was something that a few of you may not have expected. So the results were that as a result of your your votes and, and your sort of overwhelming votes that Liverpool should only sell Torres and buy Suarez, Liverpool gets the summer 2011. Um, they signed Jordan Henderson, Charlie Adam and Stuart Downen. Carroll carries on at Newcastle. Uh, Liverpool pay £50 million for him. As a result, there's no Craig Bellamy or Sebastian Quattas. Uh, and as a result, the season plays out how it did, but for a few crucial differences. Without Bellamy, Liverpool bowed at the League Cup to Man City in the semi-final stage because he's so influential in that second leg at Anfield. And they also go out on penalties to Everton in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley because he isn't around to put the ball in Andy Carroll's head for the winner that sealed the tie. So there's a lesson here, people. That the most obvious choice isn't always the best one. Um, if you're voting on next week's, I would advise you to, uh, to think accordingly. But the votes from the last week are in, and I asked you, it's 2012 in the summer. What are Liverpool doing about the vacant managerial role? Who are you hiding? With six votes and 5%, Frank De Boer, 8% of the vote, Roberto Martinez, 12% Andre Villas-Boas, 32% Brendan Rodgers, and 44% Rafael Benitez. So you've picked your own reality, and Liverpool now, in the summer of 2012, have Rafa Benitez in charge. That piece will be on Liverpool.com Friday as to what happens then and what realities then play out. And you can have a vote on the next survey as a result going into next week. I hope that is all clear. If not, please head over to Liverpool.com and read the two pieces already to familiarise yourself with the concept. Um, Moving on, gents. Liverpool get through a turbulent past two matches um, for a variety of reasons. Jürgen Klopp said after Sheffield United, he has 500 million problems, which you know is seems quite mild really when you scroll through Twitter. Um, Ollie, you're back after not even a sabbatical. You just haven't been on the Liverpool.com podcast, and I shall take full blame for that. Um, it's hard to know how big these results will be until the end of the season, but. You get the feeling that Ajax and Sheffield United in particular felt massive. Yeah, I've talked about this on the Facebook Lives we've doing. I've written about it a bunch as well. I think it's just got to be a survivor advance mentality until you get past January into February, March. Just find a way to win games, find a way to pick up results. Whether the performances are complete, whether you can get a great 20 minutes to blow a side away, whether it's starting poorly and looking like you're on... Uh, you're struggling a little bit and then you find a way to dig yourself out as you did against Sheffield United, whether it's just meandering through 45 minutes against Mitchelland in the week, just find a way to get it done and then find yourself in 
February, March, within three points of the title and into the next round of the Champions League, whether that's three points ahead, three points behind, so just beating City head-to-head, beating Leicester head-to-head, whoever it winds up being, that is the goal they should be pinning at, is when we get to February, three points either way, and we know we're in the, the knockout stages of the Champions League. And anything other than that, I think I don't think there should be too many highs, too many lows. It's such a crazy, frenetic season. It's already wild that that should be the only impetus, is just get there intact, and then you can have a final sprint at the end of the season. There's definitely an adversity there, Dan, in the past three games, isn't there? You know, there's there's a huge sort of centre digging in, but there's also there's also the sort of Liverpool muscle memory of you know 1819, first half of 1920, where there is that sort of champions inevitability to 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 a lot of a lot of things that they're doing now. You know, they sort of creating a narrative in their favour. The last half an hour against Ajax sticks in my mind where they just decide we're not conceding a goal here. Mm. You know, that's just basically how this game is playing out. And if there's if there's going to be another goal, it's going to be ours. And it's interesting that, that that sort of that sort of context is present around them without someone like Van Dijk being there. Yeah, I think you're right to use a phrase like muscle memory because this is a Liverpool team now that's been kind of honed over the years. And has evolved from you know that kind of swashbuckling early days under Klopp when it was you know we'll score more than you, then a more pragmatic approach. And I think now we're almost seeing kind of like a mixture of the two. Um, I mean, what one thing I particularly enjoyed about the Sheffield United game on Saturday was the way that started really well, could have been two up, then obviously they score, and we kind of went to pieces really for what maybe going going to pieces a bit strong, but we were you know we we're on the ropes a little bit, and Sheffield were very much on top. Look. You know the most likely side to get to, to, to get another goal, and I think you you've got to have periods like that. I think to kind of like to to give yourself that extra steal. Liverpool have proved that. Well, Liverpool as a, as a team and a squad have shown that over a number of years. But obviously, there's new players that have come in. Um, and to be honest, there were spells like that against against Michelin's on Tuesday night as well. But particularly probably the last 10, 15 minutes before Salah got the penalty. All of a sudden, we seem to be burnt. Uh, gassing a little bit and blowing for tugs. And the Danes, quite rightly and fair play to them, realised, hang on, we're only 1-0 down here. Let's give it a bit of a go. And they had a couple of chances. There was the shot from the edge of the box, that one when the lad dropped his shoulder and tried to dink it with his left foot when he should have gone with his right. Um, Adam Lallana was on BT last night and I don't know, I can't remember him hearing, hearing him say it at the time, but we the Echoes did a piece on it um, earlier today. He, I think he's maybe slightly overstating it, but he's, he said something like Klopp will be secretly loving the fact that Liverpool have got a little bit of an injury crisis because it gives he likes being the underdog and it gives him the, it gives him the opportunity now to, to almost create a little bit of a siege mentality within the playing group. Things have, things have gone their way for so long. Not that it's come easy to them, they've had to dig in for it, of course they have. But if there was any kind of sense of, you know, a superiority complex. We were champions of the world, England and the Premier League. What's happened over the last few weeks and months has made them realise that if they want to achieve again this season, every man jack of them is going to have to dig in and graft. And it's it, it's a bit of a reality check for them, but one that in some ways, I can see where Alana's coming from. Klopp, Klopp is, will probably welcome it in a way, but maybe not quite with the severe state of the, of the injury list. It's a really good point that he's he's always quick to reference his mind stays, isn't he? And I think it's mm-hmm. it's he's very unique in that sense and that he's an elite manager, but he's he's also been at the other end. You know, he's also sort of been at the 
the rough and tumble ends of, of teams getting relegated and, and not getting the breaks that they want. And it's almost sort of what makes him such a unique outlier in, in that sense. I think, Mark, we touched on last week, you know, this this was a Liverpool team which were defending really badly with Virgil van Dijk in the side. You know, they defend awful against the likes of Villa and Leeds at times. Um, and Van Dijk's culpable. I think there's 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 a question as to whether this is all, you know, sort of a concentration issue in terms of them just sort of flipping back now to to deciding that they're gonna be really tight. But I think that there is the, the sense that the side are having to sort of pick the moments in games because there is that constant sort of turnaround of matches now and, and the amount that is going into the legs is, is inevitably taking a lot out. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, without Van Dyke being there, obviously a lot of people expected Liverpool to concede more goals than they already were. I mean, you know, let's not forget that Van Dyke was in the team they conceded seven to Aston Villa. So it's not like that they were perfect when they were in the team. Now that he's not there, it seems like they're just obviously scared of going forward too much, but they seem a lot more pragmatic in the way they're going forward. They're not, you know, going swashbuckling, cut counter-pressing, really pressing them high and leaving the high line. I mean, the high line's another thing that we've been talking about a lot recently, and it does seem to have dropped. Now, it might only be like five yards or so, but that does make a lot of a difference when, you know, teams try and play the offside trap. And obviously it, it comes off or it doesn't. But, yeah, they just seem to have, I'm not going to say concentrating more, but it does seem to be like, Van Dyke not being there has had a positive impact on them, whether it's down to concentration levels, whether it's down to, you know, lots of jokers standing up and be counted, wanting to, you know, say, well, now that Virgil's not here, we're going to stand up and, you know, take the mantle, if you like. So it's certainly interesting, one, the fact that, you know, since Van Dyke has gone, Liverpool have got better defensively. And, you know, part of that might be down to Fabinho being there. You know, you've got someone in midfield who is well, playing at centre-back, but also reads the game like a midfielder, that could have an impact on it as well. So, yeah, it's certainly not as straightforward as, uh, you know, we've got our best defender out, we're going to see more goals. It's nef- definitely not going to be like that, but, you know, we're probably going to touch on it at some point. The injury to Fabinho is now going to be a true test. And like um, like you guys have said already, Klopp does thrive on being the underdog and, you know, thriving in adversity. And, you know, this arguably, since Liverpool have got you know, to the peak of um, English football, this probably is the most adverse time that he's gone through since being at Liverpool. Well, we had a chat this morning about the general sort of state of play and where Liverpool are after two Champions League games. And as the day's gone on, a couple of things have sort of come to my attention. Firstly, I think if you'd offered any of us six points from two games, but six points from two games with the front three only playing, playing the equivalent of 90 minutes, we'd have all burned your hands off. Mm-hmm. And the manager is is front centre of that, by the way. I think that's a huge sort of positive that will, will save us well, hopefully, in the next few weeks. But also the other thing was, you know, we sort of pondered the question that the Atalanta games are massive in that you sort of... You sort of want to be qualified by the end of game week four. And the more I've thought about it, the more I'm wondering whether the Atalanta game coming up, the first one, there's just going to be a mad side, like madder than last night. Yeah. And I think you can sort of bargain for that in the sense that the manager sat here, he's saying, yeah, you're, you're all saying we only need to be qualified by game week four. 
but I've got Mitchellands in those last two games and a backers there and a backers against Ajax at home. So actually I'm going to, if I've got a mad side to throw out, it's, it's Atalanta away probably. And then you're sort of, then you're sort of rolling your sleeves up where the underdogs type of management that he gets to have, that he doesn't get to have anymore with Liverpool because the, the favourites in every context comes out again. It almost, the more I've thought about it, the more it feels a little bit Everton at home in the FA Cup last season. Yeah, that, that that's definitely possible. I think you could see, even just from a tactical standpoint, I've written for the morning about moving to a back three. Does he do something like that? Because Atalanta's going to be such a, a rare one-off case. And if they get you, they'll put five or six past anyone. You could be playing well. That's just the way they play. They throw seven guys forward and you hope for the best. So I think that that's a good point. Uh, the only goal should be what just gets us through the group. It doesn't even matter if you finish first or second in the group anymore. The draw can go anyway. They're weird games. There's probably still going to be no one in the in the stands come March when the thing restarts. So if you target the, the Michelin game, as you say, in Ajax, and the Atalanta ones, you can just kind of throw out and focus more on the league games and you know, City's coming up. The West Ham game is not going to be easy given the injury concerns. Um, so I think that, that's right. I, I just want to go back to something you mentioned there about the mentality from before. Dan K there referenced it. a perfect point. I think we won't know how important those games were uh, necessarily, but I think Klopp will be so delighted with that that terrible 30-minute spell against Sheffield United because they were so bad and it would have been so easy to cave because the decision goes against them again and they're really tired because the midweek was tough and we got to do this again and we got to pick up and go again next week and this is happening again. It would have been so easy to cave and we mentioned it, I think, on a Facebook Live after the show. It didn't take, usually it takes the spark of going in at halftime, gather yourself, manager says something, you make a tweet, you make a change. They figured it out themselves on the pitch. The final five minutes from the 40th minute to the 45th minute, they just flipped. And they were like, no, let's go again. We can gather ourselves. That that kind of mental switch to have within a squad yourself on the pitches is absolutely massive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over the three games, Dan, Diogo Jota has been a, a huge positive for Liverpool. I think I think the most sort of impressive thing for me is just it's almost a little bit foul like in his in his pension mm. to sort of be around sort of the, the, the place in the area where you want someone to just tap the ball into and Liverpool haven't scored a lot of those goals over the last two years you know it's sort of the back post six yard box type of goal he's, but he, he seems to be in and around those sorts of positions quite a lot and I think it's interesting that when you sort of buy a, a player that you've seen Premier League for example and you have a perception of them in your head you know I thought I thought you know we'd get a lot of industry from him I thought he'd be very wide and and sort of you know, helping fullbacks and stuff like that and quick to go the other way. And he is all that, but, you know, you, then you get this sort of poacher instinct from him too. And how have you sort of ranked his start to, to life at Liverpool? I've been really impressed with him. Um, he, he, he likes a, he likes a cop-end goal, doesn't he? Three, yeah. three and three in front of the, uh, the famous old terrace now. And I'm, I, I think scoring so early on it. I think two things helped him. For a start, the fact that, you know, his, you know, the, the Thiago saga rumbled on all summer, didn't it? And then finally it was announced. And then I think it was literally within about maybe an hour of Thiago being confirmed, all of a sudden the likes of Paul Joyce and all the, the writers were saying Jota imminent. And it had been on nobody's radar, really, had it? And, and within 24 hours it was confirmed. But I think because Thiago was so high profile, it kind of helped him slip under the radar a little bit. So, the, so there wasn't too much pressure going on his shoulders. And then, of course, he scored on his... It was his Anfield. I think he, he'd come on in an away game, hadn't he? Um, 
can't remember who it was against, but it, 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 he scored on his first his first Anfield appearance against Arsenal, didn't he? Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, I can't say to be honest, I paid an awful lot of attention to him during his time at Wolves, apart from the general just being quite impressed with Wolves as an entity since they come up into, into the Premier League. But I probably, yeah, like you, had this perception of being someone that was going to play a bit wise, looks like he could maybe get in between the lines a little bit. And he does seem to be, in many ways, a jack of all trades, but in some ways kind of like a master of most of them as well. It is very early days. He's played, what, less than, less than half, a dozen, half a dozen games. But given how up and down the last few weeks have been with injuries and obviously you know a few flaky results here and there the fact that he's come in and hit the ground running i think has just given everybody you know probably within the dressing room but certainly outside the dressing room in the stat here well in the virtual stand as we are now just that little bit of reassurance that things are still a little bit turbulent but the manager the club still has this ability to identify talent who will fit in with what liverpool are and what liverpool needs you know, one of the greatest assets I always think when, when that's been key to some of the most successful Liverpool teams in the past <clears throat> are players that can come in and do a variety of different roles, play a, a variety of different positions, and fulfil you know a number of different tasks. And it seems that that Jota will be able to do that. You know, there may be times when when we might look to play him through the centre, um, or you know possibly even in, in a two up front. Managers like players who are able to kind of take advice on board and do it without being repeatedly told what to do. And you get the impression with Jota that he's, he's, he's a bright lad, he's a quick learner. And that's why he's been able to kind of take to, to Anfield like, like, like a duck to water so far. And we hope obviously it continues. Um, you know, There's every chance we'll see the best of him once the team is operating at, at its optimal level, which, you know, I don't think you hear anyone, even the most, even the most, Wide-eyed optimists could say Liverpool aren't at their absolute peak at the minute, but six out of six in the Champions League and level top of the Premier League isn't too bad for a team that you know is supposedly in crisis. No, absolutely, Mark. What, I know you've been impressed with him. What's what's particularly stood out for you? Um, I mean, you know, when they signed him, you know, I mean, like that Dan said, he did go under the radar, and it was just almost like you know, where's this like? I've all talked before. If Liverpool were going to sign a player from Wolves, Adama Traoré was you know the player that was so. So-called link with them, and, you know. Me personally, I'm 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 on or but I certainly always thought Jota was a better player. So, yeah, I mean, he is like Pep Lind said, he is a pressing monster. You know, he never gives you know defenders a moment's peace. It's always like handing them out, make forcing a mistake. A few times against Michelin on Tuesday night, you saw, you know, he might have been. I mean, Origi wasn't pressing that much as probably as much as what we'd like to see from a striker who. You know, one of the interesting Firmino doing that role. So Jota was left to do most of the pressing along with Minamino. And the times he forced a mistake out, you know, was, you know, just what you want from him. Um, obviously, goals will get the attention. The goals that he scored, Sheffield United was a winning goal. You know, before, obviously, Salah got a penalty against Midland, that was probably the winning goal as well up until the end. And then, obviously, the goal against Arsenal was, you know, to cap off. But up before he scored that, you know, it wasn't nearly two one score line. It could have gone either way. So the goals that he scored aren't just you know up the last in a five and win. They are quite big goals. So you know he is a man that is becoming not so much a match winner, but he's just man for the big occasion. And you know I won't. We've had the discussion before whether he's undroppable or not. I won't say he is undroppable, but he is getting to the point now where if he isn't in the team, you miss him. 
And that is a massive compliment to someone who, well, massive compliment to anybody in the team, let alone someone who's been there four or five weeks, whatever he's been there, and only played less than half a dozen games. So, you know, you would like to think he could only get better. You know, like if you look at the past signs that Klopp has made, you know, the best ones anyway. Took a few weeks to get running, with the exception of like Salah and Mane. But you know, Robertson took a while. Fabinho took a while. Obviously, Van Dijk came in, did hit the ground running straight away. But you know, Jota, like Salah, Mane, and Van Dijk, is hitting the ground running straight away. And considering the flurry of talent that they've already got in the side, you know, I say, I mean, personally, I'm been more impressed than I thought. I mean, more impressed than I thought I would be. But you know, the signs are good that you can only continue that and go on and be an even more important player for them. I wonder, Ollie, if it's a case that he's sort of behind the scenes, he's viewed as sort of an old-fashioned number 12. Yeah, I, I, say, I thought he was quite iffy against Sheffield United, particularly his positional discipline. They said it was very specific and coordinated and it took them a good while to figure out, I wrote about it on the side, Joe Gomez basically had to completely redefine his position from about 60 minutes on to be like, okay, how do we tackle with this? They were running something funky that you wouldn't normally see at the Premier League level, um, which could go into more detail if you wanted to. And Jota found himself having to kind of play his really narrow role where uh, he was trying to give space to Trent on the right to overlap whilst trying to balance it where he was almost three in the centre of midfield. And he just got caught out three or four times and you would see Trent get overloaded down that right-hand side. So there was a balance there. And I think in the 4-2-3-1, there's still going to be a, a difficult thing of how do you marry his skill set where he is industrious, he does want to come play with what Trent wants to do on the right-hand side. How do you balance that defensively if you're going to have a centre-back pairing where you might have to protect Reese Williams a bit more? So, you know, if Jordan Henderson's in front, he can't just go and screen over to the right. He's going to want to be a bit more centrally to try and help out the young lad behind him. So there's a balancing thing there that's an issue. And I do think that more and more we'll just see the classic 4-3-3 with him bobbing between the three different roles on a, on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that's why he is sort of, he's a bit on the right, he's a bit on the left, he's a bit narrow sometimes. Do you think they're sort of finding a way to mould him in the way that he is? Like I say, if he's your number 12, if he's your first substitute, for example, he can come on and fill in a myriad of roles rather than moving players around him. Yeah, I don't know about you. I thought last night's setup was was a, was a strange one when if you just put those four on paper, Shakiri, Minamino, Origi, Jota, that wouldn't have been, of the five combinations I could have come up with, it would not have been Origi on the left, Shakiri behind Minamino and Jota on the right. I know he loves sticking Origi on the left for whatever reason, but you would have just thought, naturally, Shakiri on the right, maybe Jota up top. You know, there's, there's four different ways we could sit and figure out that I think would have been a better, more seamless fit than, than that four combination. And so it did make me wonder, well, is he making sure that the first thing he decided was, well, I want Jota on the right, because that's where I'm mostly going to use him no matter what. So I, we have this vision of him of maybe playing up top, maybe playing on the left. But the fact that last night he kind of put three other lads in a worse spot to put Jota on the right made me think that that is how he views him. He wanted him to get extra reps with uh, Trent on the right. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Last night, I think I, I just think someone didn't get the brief. And I, I genuinely, I think someone sort of was was two or three yards off it tactically and the whole thing then just looked like it was a mess, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Because like you say, you put that team on paper down and, and you, you're automatically thinking, well, Divock Rigi goes and beats number nine. And, you know, everyone always says Divock's the one in a four-two-three-one. Let him go and do that for a bit. Minamino gets to get his head up, drop a bit further, get on the ball. 
but none of it seems to happen. It was almost a bit sort of lopsided left and then a bit of lopsided right and players were just seem to drop in here, there and everywhere. It, it didn't really take shape, does it? No, and it, and to be honest, it, you know, the first half on uh, yeah last night reminded me a bit of the first half on Saturday. You know, Saturday was the first time that we that we saw the main front three of Salah, Mane, and Firmino with Jota in there. And even if you know on paper it looked mouthwatering, you know it didn't really click into gear in any way, shape, or form really until the second half. But I do think that that maybe this is just part of the natural evolution of a team and a tactical setup. You know, the, the one thing that's been a constant throughout Klopp's era is that he doesn't, things don't stand still, which is how it should be. You know, things are constantly moving on to the next iteration of of what this team will look like. And it's very, very rare that a new <clears throat> a new tactical scheme will just automatically click into gear straight away. Um, you know, n- neither match was particularly made easy by the fact that both opponents were big, strong, physical and up for throwing a few tackles in, you know, and, which and, you, know, you can't blame them for that. You know, teams aren't just going to come to Anfield and roll over and get their, get their bellies tickled. Um, I, I think also what, what doesn't help in the current circumstances, and of course it's the same for everybody, but particularly when you are trying out new systems, new players, is you know, the, this otherworldly atmosphere that they're playing in. Hmm. And you know, a, a few people made the point that, you know, we're all players, spectators, journalists. We're all used to football behind closed doors now. We have been for six, seven months. But it just felt a bit more pronounced because it was Europe. Because particularly for Liverpool, so much of our identity is is tied up in these European nights and the floodlights and the atmosphere and everything. And the players are human beings like anybody else. And whatever novelty or you know unusual nature to it is is well worn off now. And I'm sure they're as sick of it as as as, as we all are. But of course, they're in a position where they can't afford to just sit there in a grump in front of the telly or, or in, in a bar or whatever. They've still got to go about, be as bright and strong physically and mentally as they can. Um, and, and sometimes it, 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 it just isn't going to happen. And then that's when discipline and mentality kicks in. And you have to accept that, all right, it's not really working at the moment, but keep grafting, keep battling away, keep doing the things that we're supposed to be doing that we've been practicing and training that we do, to play the football that we know that we can. And eventually, it's, it's like a war of attrition sometimes. Eventually, you, it's muscle memory. You keep going through it and eventually it clicks into place. And it wasn't pretty last night in any shape, in any way, shape or form. And to be honest, I don't think it will be for quite some time yet. I think we're going to see a number of these kind of like quite fractured, splintered performances that aren't particularly easy on the eye. But... The encouraging aspect of it is that Liverpool, more often than not, are still finding a way to get the results, to get the job done, to keep themselves ticking over. And hopefully, as the season develops, we'll start to see some of that fluency that you know that has become their trademark in recent years. Yeah, Mark, we wrote on the site about sort of the olive branch to Zed and Shaqiri now that we're in a 4-2-3-1. Um, the manager clearly won't trust them in a 4-3-3. That's, that's been clear for over a year. But he's changed the system. He's stuck with it for the last two games. And I think there's there's reminders whenever Shaqiri goes onto a football pitch, there's reminders that he's ability-wise up there with the best in Europe. And that's that's not an exaggeration. You know, you've, got, you've got the likes of Crouch and Lallana there who were genuinely eulogising about him yesterday when he's referenced because they played with him. And, and you know, the ability to sort of 
open a tin of beans with his left foot is it shouldn't be passed up on that he does have that that game changing ability at any one time. But I've sort of been more impressed with with how he's taken hold of games and spurts over the last two appearances where wherever Liverpool just needed five minutes, he's done something that is for me, yeah, it, it's it's tactically better than I've seen from him in his first season, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange one with Shakiri. I mean, you know, in the past 12 months, you know, if if you go back to saying, you know, March, April, right, if you just said Shakiri's going to be a key player at Liverpool by October or whatever in the next season, most people would laugh at you because, you know, he just wasn't playing for one, whether he was injured, whether it was selection, you know, obviously them in the club, no reason why. But, you know, since he's coming to the side, I mean, Against Lincoln, albeit against it was against Lincoln, but you know we, we it was very well that you know they saw the free kick. You know he can he is capable of doing that. Um, and yeah, against Mitchland, I mean, you know he just he's just become a player that seems to have gone under the radar completely. You know all the talk about you know the shadow front three or front four if you include Origi as well is gone. Well, has been focused on Jota, Minamino, and then Origi as well. So Shakiri's gone a bit under the radar a bit, um, but. Out of the out of the four that played or the, that played against Mitchell, I thought Shakiri probably played the better. But yeah, like you say, Klopp doesn't trust him in a four-three-three. It's got to be in a four-two-three-one or like like it was against Mitchelland. You know, he played him in midfield, which you know we've not been accustomed to seeing of a player like that. You know, he is a forward. That's what we know him as. But for Klopp to play him in the system, you know, he's got to have trust in all his players. And you know, like I said, it just it wasn't. Awful, but he wasn't fantastic against Michelin, and that's something that is not like him because a lot of times he is, you know, either really good or really, really bad. And you know, you saw with the goal for Jota, you know, he played a lovely little one-two with um, Trent to play to tee up the ball for Jota to tap it in. You know, he does have those moments where, he, like, just drops into these little pockets and just, you know, can dictate games. But then he has little mo- moments where, you know, he just tries to do something a little bit too clever and it just doesn't come off at all. So he is a frustrating player in that aspect. But, yeah, you know, you're never going to grumble having a player like Shakiri on your books because, you know, on his day, he can be world-class. The problem with him, and the, one of the main problems with him, obviously, is fitness as well. But the main problem with him is he just doesn't do it often enough. And if he can keep on putting in regular quality performances, you know, it, it is going to be a, a good option for Klopp to have given the hectic fixture schedule they've got and the fact that the front three are going to need resting and interchanging at some stage. I love him. I, I think he's great. There's there's a hilarious excellence to him where he just pops on for five minutes. He's like, I'll stick that in the top corner, get the beers, and I'll see you all at full time. He, he only fancies three minutes a game. But in the three... And I've said this to you before, but I really believe this. If someone ever employed me in football, I would be sacked in 18 months because if I was at any non-top six club, I would build my team around Shakiri. He would be my Jack Grealish and I would give him 200 grand a week and I'd ask for a Russian oligarch running Stoke to say, give me 200 grand a week and let's build it around this little Swiss fella because he's unbelievable. And it's he just decides. He was dreadful to start the match. Then he picks him outside the box and says, watch this now. And he goes, all right, I'm done. I'll see you all, uh, see you all later on. So it's, 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 how do you even manage that? I can't even imagine. Linders and Klopp must sit there and be like, what, what are we supposed to do? Because he can do this. And then for 90 minutes, he's just going to be like, yeah, don't fancy it now. Sorted. 
honestly, I mean, I'm exaggerating here, YouTube, but he he, he absolutely ruined the second leg against Barcelona for me. Because I was just tearing my hair out with him tactically. I was like, Shaq, Jordi Alba's gone again there, mate. Shaq, no, he's off, mate, again. Yep, yep, Shaq, Shaq, yeah, I know we're winning 4-0, but, mate, you need to sack him. Honestly, he was just tearing my hair out with him in that Barcelona game, and it was Anfield's greatest night. But in, in many ways, like you say, his, his brilliance is that he goes and puts a ball on, on one Adam's head and just decides, yeah, he's influencing the game of football. Um, Ollie, while you're there, how grateful are you for... Alison Becker's powers of prayer right now. It's a big deal. Hope you can call Fabinho. They can get together, do whatever they got to do. Let's get him in the pool. What a player. Uh, the, the difference, the night and day difference. I thought it was really interesting last night. You saw a lot of reports about how vocal he was with Reese Williams um, and Joe Gomez. Joe Gomez, not a talker. Reese Williams, obviously, what a crazy situation to find yourself in. Um, you know, not six months ago, he's playing for a terrible Kidderminster team in the National League North, which is the sixth division of English football, um, the old school conference for all people, not in the conference itself, in the conference North for a bad team. You, you could get the impression this lad must be some young dynamo who somehow found himself at Kidderminster and they must have been like, you know, the best team in the division and he's dominating games as this kind of young Virgil van Dijk looking 19 year old. They were terrible. And now he finds himself playing at the Johan Cruyff Arena one week and then walking out at Anfield Coming on, uh, coming on as a sub, which is an, an extra level of, of pressure and, and difficulty. So um, to have him step in, and I thought it was really notable that Allison was was uh, vocal in a way that people who have been attending these matches behind closed doors and have been able to kind of see what how how people talk to each other, how that's maybe changed because there aren't any crowd in there. Maybe people have become more vocal because they can be heard more across the pitch. And Allison has gone from being someone who was usually quite just kind of scary. And a little bit psychotic to now feeling like he might have to talk a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Dan, just moving on to sort of the defensive issues, I, I wonder, I think West Ham's fascinating in all manner of ways, you know, regardless of whether they can get Joe, Joe Matip on the pitch or not, I think it's it's absolutely sort of imperative that we that we win the game and I think we're going to see a real sort of insight into how Jürgen Klopp's mind works when he sort of announces that team and we get to see what Liverpool are doing. My thing is, with it, I think you get to see last night with how influential Trent was again. I thought he was excellent. I don't think that was just a Michelin thing. I think that performance has been sort of there and been waiting to come out for for, for since the season started. To be honest, I think the point I'm trying to make is that you know I think there's things that he won't want to sacrifice going forward and I think the full-backs are one of them. Yeah. And it, it wouldn't surprise me, therefore. So when we were having a Jota chat before, you know, Mark mentioned the word undroppable. Wouldn't surprise me if Jota's back on the bench on Saturday if TR goes fit. So I think I think we go back to the four three three, and I think the manager sort of has the impression that the two eight sit for the full backs, but the full backs go. Like we are not sort of changing how we play, even if it's Reese Williams, Williams or Nat Phillips at the back. The fullbacks are so fundamental to the way this Liverpool team operates, aren't they? You know, both as an, as an attacking force and a defensive way. And I, and I think you're right. You know, Trent's delivery with some of the balls he played last night was was sublime. You know, the the the, the, the curve on them, the flatness of them. Sometimes he really had his range together. And um, you you accept with, with the fullbacks Liverpool have that you know, because. The, they love to get forward. They play such a, an important part in the attacking armory. 
occasionally we, we might get caught at the back a little bit. And obviously that's where, that's why Van Dijk and Fabinho, you know, the two of them were so important in, in, in terms of giving that extra protection. The reality is that, well, certainly we know that the, the, the two of them aren't going to be there for a while. We, we wait to see on, on the scan results from Fabinho. There seemed to be a suggestion late last night that it may be not quite as bad as we were feared. And, and when we were talking, and we'll be talking weeks rather than months, but we, you know, there's no point speculating about that until something concrete comes comes through. It, it's a hard game. You know, I, I've seen West Ham a couple of times in, in recent weeks and they are, they look a completely different animal to, you know, the, 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 fl- the flaky organisation that they, 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 they seen last season. And they'll fancy coming to Anfield. You know, their claret and blue cousins got seven past us a couple of weeks ago. Um, they've they've had some good results against against Chelsea and you know and, and um, they, they played last weekend. I can't remember who it was, but they, but they got a good result. City, um, City, of course. Yeah, the Spurs come back as well. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but it's absolutely crucial, as you say, that, that Liverpool, having gone, you know, what felt like a lifetime in the modern Liverpool era of two league games without a win build on Sheffield United that uh, last weekend, get another three points. And then, as was, as was mentioned before, Atalanta in midweek, I think that is the, the game when you do almost take it on the chin, mix things up massively, because I don't, I'm not, I don't know if it, was, if it was directly referenced, but the game after Atalanta and the, the final game for the international break is City away. Now, you'd like to think maybe the likes of Massett might be back for that, what the, I, I, to be honest, I'd, I'd be inclined to keep Reese Williams in um, on Saturday. The, the, there is the option of playing Henderson there, isn't there? He played one game there against Monterey uh, in the World Club Cup semi-final in Qatar last December. Jordan Henderson is you know, one of the finest professionals Liverpool have had, certainly in my three decades plus of watching them. But particularly, obviously, as we don't know how long Fabinho is going to be missing the midfield, and Henderson's only just come back from injury himself and got a whack, last night as well. Given the compressed nature of this season, I don't think we can afford to take too many chances. I think we're going to have to accept, you know, if, if you've got, it's not really my bag these days, but if you've got any Liverpool defenders in your fantasy league team, I wouldn't be counting on too many clean sheets anytime soon. But this Liverpool team, I think we have to focus on making sure that we get results. And if that means scoring more goals in the opposition and accepting that we might be shipping one or two a game, I think maybe that's just the price we have to pay for now. I think if I'm the manager, Mark, I'm I'm sort of asking the question to the medical staff of not not where Joel Matip's at, but where's Costa Shimikas at? You know, Robertson's going to need a rest soon at some point. Where's Thiago at? If you can get him back in the side, there's another vocal presence that may ensure that you can drop Henderson back to centre back. Where's Naby Keita at? You know, if you want to go back to the four three three, then you need more midfield options. James Milner can't go to the world time and again. There's other players that were that are not being referenced here who are going to be just as crucial in the build up to the next international break. Definitely. Um, you know, in terms of Simicast, you know, we've, we've barely seen him. You know, he played against Lincoln, played a played a half decent game for a debut, and then obviously he's been injured ever since then. Um, you know, in my personal opinion, he could be, if not one of the most important squad players that Liverpool have, not just for what he brings, but the fact that, you know, if he can give Robertson a rest, then you know that enables him obviously to have longer runs in the side without the risk of picking up injury. Because, like I say, you could list and most of the players, certainly the key ones, 
um, who you don't want to get injuries to. And Robertson was certainly one of them because, you know, just of what he brings, he's started the season, you know, so well, you know, so electric the way he just runs the game. He basically runs that left-hand side, him and Sadio Mane, you know, when those two link up so well. And, you know, if Simikas can, you know, get back, get back fit, for him, this is his first injury that he's had and it's sods law that he's got it when he comes to Liverpool. Um, so, you know, hopefully he can get back fitness and, you know, it's a tough one with him because you can't just drop him in like Atlanta away and say, Ego Costas, try go up against one of the most informed attacking sides in Europe and try and help us keep clean tree or get through. You know, that's going to be unrealistic to expect him to do that. But on the flip side, he's got to play games at some point. So when do you use him? Do you use him, wait until the off Do you chuck him in for the old league game against a lower Premier League side that you think you can possibly, possibly scrape through? Well, that's West Ham, probably not. You know, he's probably not been fit enough yet. So Robertson will probably play in that. When you go back to Thiago, you know, for me, he's, if he's fit, he plays. No matter who you're playing against, because he just dictates games. You know, he's arguably the most influential player on the pitch in the game and a half that we've seen. He's absolutely vital. He stays fit, especially with, you know, Henderson being a bit iffy with his knocks every now and then. Fabinho getting injured as well. Like, no, there's no navigator, like you said. Alex Osley Chamberlain, I say he's been a player who's just been forgotten because he's not been fit, you know. So he's another one they've got to make sure that they get back as soon as possible. You know, the injuries do seem to be stacking up, but you know, like you say, it's important that they get these squad players back, not just because of what they bring, but the fact that it allows the first choice eleven or twelve, thirteen, whoever you count as in the main uh, squad to get match fit themselves, get recover uh, to get the recovery time in basically stay fresh and not pick up injuries because like we saw I think we saw it with Fabinho, that injury was coming at some point. You know, it might whether you like it or not, it probably was gonna happen at some point. Just the sheer amount of games they've been playing, he's switched positions, he's doing it a different way. He's not used to it, playing there for so long. You know, he's obviously used to playing in the field, it's a different role for him. And um, he's played centre about the odd time, but playing there for a stretch is different from he's not used to it. So yeah, that they've got to these players fit because, like you say, it's so important with the amount of games they've got coming up that to have a squad, not just you know for using them for using them safe, but make sure that everyone stays fit and stays off the treatment table. Ollie, if we if we assume there's no Matip, if we assume that there's no Fabinho, I mean, you wrote a piece post match last night about it's time for Jordan Henderson to to sort of be. Drop back into centre back. Is that what you think he'll do Saturday? No, and it's a piece that proves why I would be so bad at this job because I woke up this morning, I was like, oh, I'm not sure, yes. And then as Dan Kay was talking, I was like, you know what, Dan Kay is right, we shouldn't do that. So I would be as a manager mid-game being like, we made the wrong choice at Pep, let's, uh, let's consider this. I think what you have to do is say, uh, and again, I've written a piece in the morning, almost a thought exercise about three at the back, and you can get you get yourself into this kind of like these these theories of all Henderson has the skill set to play here, and you actually could do something really interesting with Robertson at the left side of, of a three that could be interesting. You just have to write down your staples, who are our best players, put them in the best positions, and we'll figure the rest out. And if that means we have to twitch the mentality, as you said, Dan, before of, uh, we'll just got to outscore them. We'll score one more than them. That's what you do. But you shouldn't be trying to compromise. You should go into a game if you can. Henderson, Thiago, Wijnaldum, that's our base. Fullbacks, base, Joe Gomez, Allison, front three. Now let's figure the rest out. And if that means throwing Reese Williams in and hoping for the best, that is what it is. Um, 
but I would try not to compromise that. That would be my base setup, no matter what the game is, and then just figure the rest out. Okay, that's been this week's Liverpool.com podcast. Thank you to Dan, thank you to Mark, thank you to Ollie. Be sure to check out our content, Blood Reds, and also the Liverpool Echoes. We will see you all next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.